Welcome to the Learning Can't Wait podcast, an iTutor production. At iTutor, our vision is to ensure every child has access to education, regardless of circumstance. Each episode, we will be joined by pathfinders within and around the education space who are bringing about transformational change on behalf of deserving students. I am your host, Haley Spiravauer. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so excited you're joining today for our episode. We have Belle Linda Halpern, the founder of Inspiring Educators and the co-author of the book, Leadership Presence, Dramatic Techniques to Reach Out, Motivate, and Inspire. Welcome, Belle. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Haley. Excited to be here, too. I'm really eager to talk to you today. Uh, as you know, but our audience maybe doesn't, I am an advisory board member for Inspiring Educators. I deeply believe in the work you're doing, and I'm excited for you to share about that work in just a little bit. Great. So, Belle, can you start us off by telling our audience, how did you, how did you come to be the personal and professional version of yourself? <laughs> well, I have a long, unusual story. So, well, let's hear it. <laughs> I started out as, well, actually, when I was a really little kid, my parents started a Montessori school in Newark, New Jersey, and it was in the sort of proto-charter days, and it was a mixed-income, amazing school where I had the experience of seeing that everybody deserves great education and can get one. And I got really interested in education. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Then I ended up deciding I wanted to be a singer and an actress. And while I was at Harvard, I met a professor who gave me the idea that you could take theater exercises and make them applicable to leadership. So while I was singing and acting, I started a corporate company called the Ariel Group. And we taught leadership using theater to CEOs and to people in consulting roles all over the world. And then I sold that company in 2012. And I went back to my first love, which is education and educational equity. And so Inspiring Educators takes that same intellectual property, which has to do with the skills that an actor has to have, which surprisingly are things like listening and empathy and the ability to connect. And then, of course, the ability to be expressive and share ideas and mission in a way that's really compelling. So I took those ideas and applied them to school leaders in underserved communities. And we've been working really, again, all over the country, Teach for America, all over the place, and Boston Public Schools, New York City Public Schools, and many charters across the country. That is, a, as you said, a really interesting route to where you are today, and I'm excited to dive in more to that. Let's, let's stay, though, with your own schooling. You obviously had some inspiration in your family beginning a Montessori school, but what moments from your own childhood really stand out to you as transformative for you as a learner? Ha ha ha. Well, I can think of two immediately, or actually three. So the first one is when I was at that Montessori school and just sitting crisscross applesauce around the circle and seeing people that looked really different from me and recognizing that we could all learn together. And it was just like in my blood. So I feel really grateful for that. And I also, around that time, I heard no, later, when I was like eight or 10, I heard from my parents with tears in their eyes that during the Newark riots, the parents of that school held hands around the school all night long and kept the school from being burnt down. 
And that moment kind of struck me about what kind of community schools can create and what kind of community principals and leaders can create with staff and with parents. So that Wow, I have the chills hearing that story, Belle. Yeah, it was amazing. And I remember my parents telling me that they waited a while to tell me because I wasn't really ready to hear it when it first happened. Sure, sure. That is very powerful and probably the definition of transformative. You know, I I hear that and I hear how I, I know how leaders can play a part in that. So let's talk a little bit about what the philosophy is of inspiring educators and why you targeted school leadership as the audience for the work that you're doing and how it does that work. Great. So first of all, you know, it, it happened a little bit through chance that the work that I originally developed was really successful with very senior leadership and corporations. So it made sense to me that they had to be the face of their corporations just as principals and other school leaders need to be the face of their schools. And they need to communicate with their constituents in ways that help them align with mission. So that just was like a natural audience because that's the work that I had developed. And then when we got into the schools and we saw that this was a really underdeveloped area for most school leaders, that they had gotten, you know, there was this funny thing I remember reading once that school leaders were kind of chosen for being, what was it, E-E-S-T-J in Myers-Briggs, which is extroverted, but, um, you know, very thoughtful and um, structured and clear in their thinking and communication, but not necessarily nuanced around how to inspire or around how to build relationships that will help people really stay with them and allow them to latch on to a motivating force. So it became clear to me that we had something that was really valuable in this particular. And we actually did think about working with teachers early on, more around storytelling and how teachers could really engage their classrooms. But it became clear that that there's so much the teachers need to do that buyers of training for teachers are not thinking about their storytelling skills. There, there's so much other stuff. Whereas for the leaders, their ability to tell their story and inspire and be able to share why I do what I do has everything to do with how they can connect with parents, how they can connect with staff, how they can connect with students, and how they can get all those players to glom together and be able to really create a community that is a force of nature that really creates learning and creates a school that really works. So it's not just the storytelling, there's other aspects, but that was like the the beginning of realizing that this is the right audience for us. It's funny, prior to this, I had a panel of organizers. So an organizing, a leader from a parent organization, a teacher organization, and a student organization on a panel. And what act, how they started the episode was they each told a story about why they do this work and how they got to where they are. And as I heard that, much like how you started this episode here, I, I do set up for storytelling at the start, but it really did, just like you, leave me with chills, feeling inspired, wanting to hear more about the work. And I can see so easily how that translates. I'm thinking back to my own experience with the various principles that I've had and why some of the leaders that I've had now, if you're listening, because I'm so close with all of my former school leaders, if you're listening, 
you know who you are. Some of the folks really galvanize the community around a particular mission, around the work more successfully than the others. And I think a lot of it is storytelling. I would also argue that a lot of it is around humility and vulnerability. How much does that play a part in the work you're doing at Inspiring Educators? Yeah, it's fascinating. So I, I, I totally agree with you that the humility and the servant leadership and also the ability to share leadership and give teachers a voice is incredibly important in schools. I think what's interesting is as a leader of a school, one of the things that everybody at the school needs is a sense of safety and a sense of direction. So sometimes I think school leaders like really go in that direction and they feel like they're not allowed to be vulnerable. And so one of the things that I think can be transformative in our work is recognizing that you can do both, that you can both create a sense of safety, create a sense of direction, and also be able to share both the things that really move you, that make you vulnerable, like really stories where students made a difference and that really moves you. And then also being real about your own flaws. You know, it's like school leaders have such pressure on them all the time. And one of the things that's happening is their hot buttons get pushed by enormous stresses in their environment. Like, you know, a parent coming in angry or, you know, at the worst violence in school and all kinds of things that are just really up in their face. And where they can get into trouble is if they get triggered and they don't behave in alignment with their own values. But that is also an opportunity for showing up with vulnerability and owning it and saying, you know, in that moment, I'm really sorry about the way that I spoke. And I know that that wasn't helpful and it might've felt blaming and or whatever it is, you know, there's, there's that owning one's stuff is a way of showing vulnerability. And then it also creates opportunity because many of these school leaders are in instructional leadership roles. So if they can be vulnerable and talk about their own failures, their own inability to do the best that they could, it allows the teachers to share more of that so they can really grow. Which establishes trust. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's a huge tenet of being successful in leadership is having trust from your team and feeling as if you can trust them and you can work collaboratively towards your common goal. Yeah, I, I absolutely hear you in that. I'm wondering, you know, Belle, you're naming quite a few of the challenges that school leaders are facing. There's a lot of national dialogue about the imminent, the current and future teacher shortage. How is that playing out in school leadership? Huge, as you can imagine. Um, There's just shortages everywhere and teachers are leaving in droves because they're not being supported by many aspects of our culture. And there's incredibly high expectations on them that are so hard to fulfill because kids have lost a few years of school and lost social emotional learning. So there's, you know, a double, double whammy on every teacher right now, a triple whammy of also not being appreciated by the culture at large. So, or a quadruple one around violence and fear. So what the school leaders really, the ones that we're working with, are responding with relationship building. That basically, yes, people leave jobs because of stress, but they also leave jobs because they don't feel supported by their direct superior. So the more we can help school leaders really develop relationships with teachers, that is one of the ways to keep them on board. And we know that 
teachers staying in the classroom for a number of years makes such a huge difference to kids. So I'm seeing a lot of work on the part of the principals and other school leaders that we work with around both trying to really give teachers a voice, doing more shared leadership, but especially developing one-on-one relationships where, say, in every one-on-one they have with a teacher, one of the things that we'll work on is how do you make sure that that teacher feels acknowledged and gets that you get what their strengths are and gets that you get what their values are and even can connect their values to the mission of the school. So in a one-on-one, we'll ask the school leader to be listening for, as I'm talking to this teacher about their week, about a class that I observed and we're dialoguing about it, how can I get them to talk and then me listen in a way that I can listen for their values and their strengths and speak them back so that rather than just talk about, say, if there was a difficult moment in a classroom to say, before I go to like problem solving, I can really see that you value loyalty or you value fairness with your kids or you value the courage it took for that kid to speak to you. You know, So like naming what you're hearing underneath so the person feels seen and heard. I think, you know, if you can make teachers feel seen and heard, huge chance that they will want to stay if they can do it. I mean, I also want to name, I have a daughter teaching in Chicago in an urban school, and it's just really, really stressful. So I I don't, not saying that the teachers are bad for. Yeah, it's it's enormous pressure. There's a lot of challenge right now in the field of education. You, You named at the top of the podcast a couple of boulders that teachers and school leaders encounter on a regular basis. Add to it a pandemic and the continued effects and lingering effects of that political and very health related crisis, not to mention school safety, not to mention mental health crises for students. We are at a really critical time in education in which everybody is under duress and our brains are forever chemically changed from the past three years. So we have to account for that in our leadership and in our teaching and in our support of one another in ways that I don't think anybody anticipated at the beginning of, or three years ago. Right. I mean, I think what's interesting is social emotional learning and social emotional well-being of staffs has just exponentially become important in the current climate. You know, we have a model that we work with inspiring educators and it's the first four letters of the word presence. So one of the ways that we're working with leaders is on their presence. And for us, their presence is composed of how, how they can be present with people. That's the P and the R is how they can build relationship. Then the E is how they're expressive and let people see them and get to know them and also feel their vulnerability. And then the S is their ability to be self-knowing. So know what their triggers are and know how they can manage them. The P and the S, the beginning and the end of our model, the ability to be present and the ability to be self-knowing are incredibly important right now around self-care and recognizing that our brains are in limbic arousal, that basically when you're in a long, long, long period of stress, the part of your brain that gets activated is what's called the amygdala or the fight, flight, freeze center. And then we've got to get out of that to the frontal cortex. And there are 
a lot of techniques today of how to do that, very simple physical ways. So that's some of the things that we are focusing on when we're working with leaders on how they can lead in challenging times. I appreciate that you bring in the science behind this because it is really the underpinnings of so much of what we are seeing as manifestations of the experience that we all endured together. And I think it's important. So let's talk a little bit about your book, right? Because that's, first of all, congratulations. That's a big accomplishment to have a book published. What, what can we expect from Leadership Presence Dramatic Techniques to Reach Out, Motivate, and Inspire? So the book is really structured about those four aspects, being present, reaching out, being expressive, and being self-knowing. And there's two chapters about each one. So, you know, in being present, there is looking at what it means to be present, and then techniques, how do you get yourself to be more present? And some of the techniques come from the world of acting. So actors have to be incredibly present to be successful. You know, in, and they have to be able to improv. They have to be able to, in the moment, deal with whatever is happening. Not even like traditional improv, but just like, you know, you're on stage and somebody comes in late and what do you do? So just as principals have this enormous amount of spontaneous need for thinking on their feet, so do actors. So we work with the relaxation that you need to get your brain to be able to stay calm under pressure. So that's one of the aspects. And also it's really interesting, some of the new science around this, around that we can choose our emotional state. So we can, in a moment of stress, we can go back. And so actors work on, I remember when I was a, I still do it today, but when I started out, I remember I was really nervous going on stage. So stage fight is another form of freeze, flight, fight, amygdala hijack. And one of the things that I would do is do by breathing. If you breathe deeper into your belly, you can actually inhibit the adrenaline. But also I would remember really peaceful, joyous times in my life. Like I remember being on my grandmother's lap and how much love I felt and just bring that into the opening of my shows. And that's something that I've also been working with with principals. How do they, in a moment of incredible stress, come back to a moment in their lives where they felt gratitude, where they felt joy, where they're on a beach and they see the ocean and they feel the, the enormous connection of the universe. And it's very interesting that we can actually take our brains out of fight flight through bringing in a joyous or grateful emotion like oxytocin can actually bring us peacefulness. I um, love that. This is a strategy I teach my son, by the way. My son, oh, wow. you know, he has a little worry about going on. He's almost seven. And when he's feeling this way, you know, if I can get him to a place where I can have him visualize, like, let's, you know, bring ourselves back. We can't go play Legos right now, but let's pretend we're all playing Legos on the floor. Like, how does that feel? Can you, can you like center yourself in that? So yes. cool to hear that that's a strategy that works for other people because it's definitely one that works in our house. It's interesting. And I think sometimes people are resistant to it because they feel like it's fake. And I think there's a whole way of understanding that we're always playing roles and we're always choosing how we're going to show up. And there is a piece of being really honest with ourselves about how we are feeling. So the first step is like really noticing how you're feeling, what's going on. So noticing in your body, my heart's beating fast. My mouth is dry. What are the symptoms or what are the feelings that I'm having? I'm having like anxiety and lots and lots of thoughts and then going to, okay, so in this moment, I'm going to choose another way of being, you know, and of course there's another piece of it, which is also 
taking more time. There are times when you need to like take a break before you can come back. You can't always be on. So that's kind of one of the pieces of the P, the first two chapters of the book. And then the next part is the R. So it's all about empathy. And, you know, first we talk about how people don't know that actors have to really practice and study empathy, like to, to get to play a role. You have to get under the skin of that person that you're playing. So, of course, principals are not actors, but they do have to understand the people that work for them and really have empathy and get under their skin so they can behave in ways that will connect. So that's a, a whole thing of how do we allow more empathy? And what are the skills that allow us to listen more deeply and acknowledge people? And put the, putting time into that, there's a whole thing also around, it can feel like your agenda is so full as a school leader that to somehow prioritize relationship building with staff can be really tough. And you know, putting it into your schedule and making sure that at every meeting you're doing, you're starting and ending with that. All of those are like small ways of making it happen. And then the E, the being expressive, is of course where there's the most parallels with actors. But one of the ways that we work on that in schools is how do you both tell your story and then how do you tell the story of student success? And then how do you bridge those with first some kind of empathetic bridge. So I get when you're talking to your teachers and you're telling your story, before you would tell your story, you would do something that lets them know that you get where they are. So I know that right now, March just passed, and this is a time of a lot of exhaustion. And I feel like I can see that people are exhausted and I feel it too. And I wanna share with you at this moment, one of the reasons that I'm in this, and I hope it will inspire you to think about why you're in this. So that's. That's an empathetic bridge, what I did, that first part. And then there's a motivational bridge. How do you, from talking about student success and vision, go to what people can do about that? So there's wonderful work from Marshall Gans at the Kennedy School about the different emotions that you want to elicit in people, or not exactly emotions, they're states. So getting people to recognize that they have personal agency to make a difference or to feel solidarity with others or to feel hope that there's the possibility and resilience. We've done this before and we can do it again. And then connection to mission. So all of those are ways to, after you tell a visionary story, do some specific eliciting of states of mind that are gonna help and then hopefully asking for specific action steps. So that's all under the E, two chapters about being expressive. And then the last one is the self-knowing. And part of that is what stories do I want to tell? Like knowing my own story well enough that I can delve into. Principles don't just need one story of why I do what I do. You've got to have a lot of stories. You have to have a little back pocket story list. And that comes from knowing yourself and thinking back to who have been the people that inspired you. Was it a grandparent? Was it a teacher? You asked me for some, and I started sharing one early one, but there's others too. There were my second grade teacher, my fifth grade teacher, <laughs> one positive, one negative. Um, so there's the self-knowing, knowing yourself, and then also really knowing your triggers, your hot buttons, and then having a path to work through them. And that last thing that I talked about before, the vulnerability to admit when you, we're not going to be at our best when we get triggered. It's, it's impossible as human beings. We're going to screw up. So forgiving yourself and then finding a way to share 
what's happened so that you can own up to it. That is the S. So I just went through the whole book. Yeah, you went through the whole four stages. I love that. So, so you know, I hear these and I'm really reflecting on my own leadership experience in schools and teaching experience. And I'm sure our listeners are as well. I think where we're going to end today's conversation is, is the same question I ask all the time, but I'm going to specifically pivot it for your vantage point. What advice would you give a school leader starting their career today? If you could give one nugget, obviously they should read your book. Obviously they should bring in inspiring educators, but what advice would you give them if you could give them one nugget of advice? One nugget of advice. Okay, let's see. So I think they have to come into the job with some kind of spiel that shows that they get their community and they have some vision. So that means they have to do some research into their community. They got to make sure the summer before they're talking to parents, they're talking to staff, they're talking to others in the community to get more about the community or unless they're from the community and then they're, they're a step ahead. And then the next step is being able to, as I said before, that bridge from letting people know you get where they are and you get the community, you're inspired, telling people that you're inspired by them, not doing, there's a whole danger right now with deficit stories. You know, really you want to be asset based. You want to talk about what in the community that you're learning about that inspires you. So having something like that and then having some vision that people can get behind that's straightforward and simple, those two things. And then that's the spiel piece. And then I know you asked me for one, but then the second one would be relationship building with staff right away. Wonderful. Well, this has been a really impactful conversation. I love being able to highlight the work of inspiring educators and also the theory and practice behind it. I am super excited to continue to follow and cheer on this journey for the work that you're doing. And I'm so grateful you took time out of your busy schedule to come on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Haley. And thank you for what you're doing. I believe in both these podcasts and also the tutoring that you're doing is so important and is, you know, I sometimes I dream that there could be like a draft and everybody would have to do service of tutoring because if we could expand that that ability to get the kids who are behind from the many reasons people are behind, including the pandemic and poverty, and get them tutoring, I feel like it would change our culture. Yeah, thank you so much for, for naming that. I really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who tuned in today. Great. All right. Thank you so much, Haley. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Be the first to know when we have a new episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion for an episode, email us at podcast at itutor.com.